You're listening to the Everyday Style School podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Mackey Mary, and I've been dressing real women just like you for over 20 years. Now I'm on a mission to help women all around the world create easy, effortless style without confusion and overwhelm. If you're ready to create a wardrobe you love and feel confident every day so you can live the life you want, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, gorgeous. Welcome back to the Everyday Style School podcast, the show that teaches you everything your mom never did about getting dressed. We are back with another fabulous guest today talking about a subject that I think is just so very important. One thing I think about a lot, especially when I put out a new capsule guide, is my responsibility when it comes to encouraging our subscribers, our listeners to shop wisely and responsibly. When people say, yeah, but isn't buying 39 pieces each season a lot? My response is always, please do not buy 39 pieces of clothing each season. Please absolutely do not. Use what you have, substitute things that are already in your wardrobe, and you know that we are so committed to reusing pieces season after season, year after year, so that you're not over shopping and you have the look you want, you feel confident, but you're not getting into the trap of being in debt for clothing. Because you know, on this show, we do not do that. But with all of that said, I know that there are some women who are struggling with over shopping and even compulsive shopping. I shared in a Lessons from Linda episode about a client who was shopping all day every day to fill a hole that was left by her kids leaving the nest. She had an empty house, an empty nest, and she was going to fill it with clothes. And I know that there are women right now who are listening to the show who have a pit in their stomach because this is hitting just a little bit close to home and they're dreading what they might hear and what they might have to face, which is why we're going to talk about it. But over shopping and compulsive shopping, they're not topics that I'm qualified to speak on. So I went out and I found the expert on the topic. Our guest today is one of very few people in the country who work with compulsive shoppers, and her program has been found to be one of the top three in the world in terms of success, and we are so thrilled to have her today. So let me introduce Carrie Rattle, who is a financial therapist and coach for professional women. In addition to her 30 years of experience as a finance executive, Carrie trained with psychotherapist Olivia Mellon, a money psychology pioneer. She further trained with psychologist Dr. April Benson, who helped over shoppers for decades. Carrie bought Dr. Benson's business and her proven program during COVID, and now she serves over shoppers nationwide. Carrie resides in New York with her husband and two little bunnies with big personalities. Welcome, Carrie. We are so happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Jennifer, and thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to share anything I know. All right, which is a lot. I have to tell you, I have been just engrossed in your blog for the last week as I was preparing for this episode. I was just writing things down like, this is a good point. Oh, we should talk about this. So this could be a multi-episode interview, but we're going to try and hit some of the highlights today. First, though, I have to know, how did you go from finance expert over to the psychological side and becoming an expert in overshopping? Oh, you know, it it was an unforeseen ride and so much fun. I really wish money and psychology had been married when I was going through college, not mm-hmm. in the year 2000 or so when the world finally woke up to it, right? So I knew for years that there was emotion in money, as do most women, frankly. But my own industry denied it. Well, no, we're all calm, cool, collected, and thoughtful. We make logical decisions. Well, that was the finance industry. But I knew there was more. And I wanted to serve women because women are underconfident when it comes to money. But, oh, women are so good at managing money. So I wanted to teach more women. I got into the financial coach side. And then I started networking. I came across Dr. Benson when I wrote about over shopping. We became friends. Uh, she's, she was actually a neighbor of mine. And when she turned 70, she said, Carrie, I want you to buy my business. So I trained under her for a year and a half. Our values were so alike. Our clients were so alike, you know, professional women um, who really wanted to, to do better in some way with their money. I was thrilled to buy her business. And so here I am, and I would say at least half of my business is working with compulsive shoppers. And I love, love, love my clients. 
That is such a great story and a good reminder to meet your neighbors because you never know. You never know where life is going to take you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and be nice to them. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. I love what you said about women being underconfident with money. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, so many places. Uh, social myths, customs handed down, uh, like family recipes. You know, you take things for granted over generations. Uh, things like women can't do math, which is so untrue because 52% mm. of PhDs are, are now women in, in the math area. So many things. Parents who forget to teach their daughters because they still think, and I mean parents who have 20-year-old daughters today still think their daughters are going to marry a man who knows how to manage his money. Well, I worked on Wall Street, and I have to tell you, there are a lot of men who don't know how to manage their money, so do not assume your partner <laughs> is going to do that. <laughs> so please learn yourselves. I love that. I love that. Just going through my mom's, my mom's papers and looking, I found a mortgage for their house that, that my parents bought, oh gosh, like 50 years ago. But back then you could only buy a house on one salary. The wife's income, her, she had no credit, she had nothing. It was all up to the man. And I think one of the greatest things that is coming out of women getting married later and having careers is that often they're going into these relationships with their own money, with their own finances, and they've bought houses on their own and they have their own credit cards and they have all that stuff. So maybe we're starting to dispel this idea that we have to get married and to somebody who knows how to manage money better. Oh my gosh. And Fidelity and Wells Fargo have both proven looking at their investment portfolios that women who have investing accounts are faring better, performing better than men who have investing accounts with both Fidelity and Wells Fargo. So go figure. Wow. Okay. That is another episode for another day because <laughs> we could dig into that. We could absolutely we could. dig into that. But today we got to talk about shopping addiction and overspending, over shopping, compulsive shopping, all that good stuff. First of all, I didn't even realize that this was controversial in the, in the, addiction realm. But is shopping addiction a real thing? Uh, yes. You know, it, it, it is not deemed an official diagnosis fully, but I can tell you that experts around the world got together in 2020, 2021, and formulated some research that clearly identified the behaviors that distinguish someone as a compulsive shopper versus a non. And so it's a big enough deal around the world, and people are starting to get serious about it. I compare it to what alcoholism was maybe in the 1940s or mm. 1950s. You know, when, oh, so, so-and-so just had a bit too much to drink, let them sleep it off. Nobody understood what it was doing to their life. Well, I think shopping is doing the same thing. And so people are finally getting serious. And that's why, you know, I've been taking care of clients now for almost three years. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that compulsive shoppers and shopping addicts are underserved if we don't even acknowledge that this is a real yeah. thing. But, you know, watch a few episodes of like hoarders and you see people who just shop all day and just acquire things, just love to yes. acquire things. And it would be really hard to not acknowledge that fact. Yes. One thing I heard you mention on a podcast you were on was that shopping, compulsive shopping is the smiled on addiction. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, when you think about it, uh, you, you've heard even presidents say, oh, go shopping, support the economy, right? Mm. So shopping is is encouraged. We live in a world of consumerism. We buy more and more things that we don't necessarily need, right? Because it creates jobs. And so the circle goes because we need more money to buy more things. And it's smiled upon as well because when you think about it, every once in a while you see a bumper sticker. When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. So it's grandma will have a let's go shopping bumper mm -hmm. sticker. So it's it's laughed at. It's it's a mm -hmm. chuckle, but it can be very serious and it can ruin someone's life. And yet it remains a smiled upon addiction because our North American world is built on consumerism. That's really that's such a great point. Someone gave me a sign. It says shopping is my cardio. Now, 
That was actually true because as a wardrobe stylist, I was walking miles and miles and miles a day with clients. But the fact that a sign exists that says shopping is my cardio kind of points to the fact that we look at it as an activity. And on this show, I call it recreational shopping, right? Oh, do you, and this is the thing that my mom and sisters, let's go shopping. Let's, it was an activity. And even growing up, that's what we did. You know, some families are sports families. Some families are travel families. We were a shopping family. That's what we did. And my mom knew where all the sample sales were and, you know, all of the cool outlet stores, but that's what we did. We shopped as a recreational activity. But how do you think that is changing this idea? And even, you know, the movies, this idea of girlfriends out with all their cute little bags. How is the idea of recreational shopping or shopping as an activity changing given the rise of online shopping versus like tactile brick and mortar shopping? Is it is it changing the way we shop? I would think that it would kind of lessen it. You know, it's it's interesting. It looks like shopping again physically is starting to come back. It took a backseat through COVID, mm -hmm. of course, because everyone was shopping online. The prediction of online shopping growth far escalated uh, during COVID. It just went straight up. But now it's starting to come back because for some people, it truly is still recreational as well as sensual. They like to mm -hmm. see colors, feel colors, try things on. So for many families and, you know, some friends, it will come back to, to some degree, but you have a very good point. Shopping, especially when it becomes a coping mechanism or a way to quickly check out to ease your brain for five minutes. You know, you're working hard, you're kind of brain dead, just pull up a link, start looking at some stuff. When you think of how people interact with their phones and flicking through and flicking through browsing, not, not specifically buying, but browsing uh, is at a very, probably almost all time level. So it's still social to some degree, but more and more individual to a greater degree. That's, that's really interesting. When I, during COVID, I had my groceries delivered like a lot of people. And I found that I was spending so much less money because there were no impulse buys. You know, I had a list, I got that list. There you go. And it was kind of the same for clothes. You know, when COVID hit, I didn't have great stay home clothes. I had great leave the house clothes, but not great stay home clothes. So I bought a few things, but the first time I was back in a store, I'm a tactile person when it comes to clothes. I love to feel the fabric. It was it was like a rush. It was such a rush that I don't think I could ever get from online shopping. I love I love to I love the feeling of just flipping through a rack. Mm. Even if I don't buy anything, I love that feeling. But I think that you're really right. There are so many times I'm scrolling through Instagram like, "Oh, that's a cute purse. Let me check that out." And you're right, browsing is at an all-time high cuz it's constant. It's constant. Yes. And when you think about it, Online shopping is like also dating, dating a really terrible date who, who becomes a stalker, right? You express some interest. <laughs> yes, yes, right? yes. You express interest, yes. but you don't buy. So you, you date somebody, but you, know, you, you don't give them your number. But even though you don't buy, the ads keep popping up, yeah. right? Because of the cookies. So it doesn't matter where you go, they keep popping up. It's like a bad date who didn't get your phone number, but somehow they figured out where you live and they're outside every day. Yes. You end up buying more because you can't escape it. And maybe you had the willpower to say no at first, but by that third look, it's like, oh my gosh, there it is again. Okay. Maybe I want it. You know, it's tough. yeah. Oh, it's meant to be, you know, and I don't think people understand how effective those ads are. They are the retargeting ads. Once you've seen something once and you start to see it over and over, they don't expect you to buy on the first time. They know it's the retargeting ads that are going to get you. It, they are so insanely effective. So insanely effective. Yep. Well, you know, and I know it's a joke now, like, oh, whatever you want for Christmas, just say it loudly near your computer and it'll show up. <laughs> It is crazy. It is crazy. I mean, I know we're just being listened to all the time, but the technology has made it so, so easy. So easy. Yes. You don't have to even go looking for anything anymore. It'll find you. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The other thing is the emails. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're not thinking about leggings from Old Navy, but 
you check your email and all of a sudden there's leggings from, from Old Navy. You weren't thinking about, you know, a skirt from Bowdoin, but all of a sudden, oh, look, new skirts at Bowdoin. They come to you now. Like you used to be, you yes. had to go to the mall. You had to leave your house and you could just say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave my house today and I won't spend money. No, now, now it doesn't matter what you do. The things are going to find you. They're going to find you. Yep. They just hunt you down like a bad stalker. They do. I love that analogy. It's absolutely Absolutely perfect. So one thing I want to sort of de- delineate is what is the difference between impulsive shopping and compulsive shopping? Yeah. So most of us will be impulsive on occasion. I might be walking down a street and, you know, my favorite color happens to be red. I see some kick-ass red shoes in a window. It's like, oh, oh, wow. I think I'd like those. You know, I had, of course, no plan on buying them, but it might be something not that I, that would happen to me on occasion, as in impulse shopping once every few months or smaller items, perhaps a little more frequently. But compulsive shoppers, it comes from, from within. So if you're impulsively shopping, you're triggered only from the outside. You're triggered from a sale item or something that looks cool. Compulsion, even... If you don't necessarily see anything that you really want, you have an emotion that you cannot bear. And your coping mechanism to suppress that emotion is to go shopping. And whether it's online or out to a store so that you could ignore what's going on. And why it becomes more of a compulsion and an addiction is because you may be suppressing boredom the first time you do it. The second time you may be suppressing anger and you realize, ah, this gives me a rush. It helps me escape. So every time you become uncomfortable, you start going shopping, going shopping, you know, to your, to your browser, to your PC, to your phone, whatever it is. And that's the difference. Compulsion is like having an internal itch. Being impulsive is just, oh, I'm feeling fine, but hmm, I'm getting lured in by this interesting item. So compulsive shopping really isn't about the shopping at all. It's not about the things. Yes. Okay. We talked a little bit about what is driving us to browse more, but I know something that you talk a lot about is the societal forces that are driving us to spend more. Can you talk a little bit about that? I refer to it as the perfect storm, Jen. And it's a perfect storm because more than one industry has been brought into it. And it's almost like they're colluding, even though they really aren't. So the first leg of the triumvirate is social media, right? Now, instead of keeping up with the Joneses in our neighborhood, the Joneses are now completely international. And they're also rehearsed. I was sitting on a a bench in um, New York City in the top of Central Park. And a woman came along with her family Her husband was taking videos of her. So she had on a new dress and she flowed up the stairs of a statue and had him video it. Then she took a look at it. Nope, doesn't look good. She did it four times, running up the stairs. And then she chose the one she liked and posted it. So she wanted it to seem natural, but it was rehearsed. I was with my friends and my husband. We were hiking in the jungles of Thailand, and we decided to go to a really nice hotel for our last night before we flew out. That whole day, we were watching a young woman on the beach change her clothing six times and have her husband take shots of her on the beach so she could post them to social media. So her postings were about the fabulous time she was having, when in reality... All she was doing was modeling on the beach, running in, changing her clothing and her makeup, and doing it all over again. You tell me, is that a fabulous time on a vacation? So we get fooled by all of these these rehearsed lives in social media. The second leg of the triumvirate is the financial services industry. If you think about it, we used to count our cash out of a wallet. Yes. And you knew when your $100 or whatever it was, was getting low. It's okay. I've got to pace myself. Then, you know, overdrafts came along, then checks and credit cards. And now we've got pay by phone or the one click wonder, which means 
you don't touch your cash. So if you were never taught how to manage your cash and look at your balance versus what you paid and has it come through, there is almost a complete disconnect. So you don't feel the pain until it's right in front of you when you've already shopped. And the third, of course, is the retail industry. Master manipulators. Masters at (laughs) money psychology, Yeah, right? Fear of missing out. Oh my gosh. You know, the must-have item. Okay. So it's, you know, and it's, they have been Mm -hmm. masters at this for decades and decades, long before social media. So here you are, you know, you could be hungry, you could be having a bad day, you could be tired. And these three forces are surrounding you all the time. Poof, you end up buying something. It's hard to resist. So I know that we have you on today to talk about compulsive shopping, over shopping, But I want to go deeper into this just for a minute because part of what I do, and I honestly struggle with this because I believe, I don't love clothes. Let me back up. I don't love clothes. I love what clothes do for women. Yes. I love. Yes. I love the fact that if you want that promotion, you can dress for it. If you want to feel more confident in a meeting, you can dress for it. If you want to be more confident with other moms at the park, put on a better outfit. Like you can, how, what we wear really does affect how we feel about ourselves. And and I do think that clothes play a big part of that. But how do we find a balance between wanting to look good, wanting to feel good, wanting to feel current, not wanting to feel frumpy and fuddy-duddy and, you know, like time has passed us by? How do we balance that with not over-shopping and being mindful about it? I would say that clothing doesn't make us. We make the clothing. So we are still who we are. We still have our own shape. We still have our own personality that shines through in what we buy and how we wear it. It's just getting the right clothing to fit us, as opposed to saying, oh, that clothing is going to magically transform me into another person. That's a big difference. You know, Mm. it's, it's like looking at an ad And, you know, I may see a a model who's five foot 11 wearing pencil thin, beautiful Italian pants. If I'm sitting there as a compulsive shopper, I'm not really applying a lot of discernment all the time. What I'm thinking is, wow, if I buy those pants, I will be her, as opposed to working with someone like you, who will say to me, well, Carrie, you're only five foot six. And you know, you're just a little curvier. So may I suggest not those pencil thin pants, but something else that would make you look fabulous, which is really what the model is. She's just looking fabulous in her own body by using the clothing that works with her body. So the, you know, the difference is, is exactly that. Clothing will not magically transform you into a more likable person. It will not magically give you a new personality. It will not magically give you a new figure. You are wonderful the way you are. So find the clothing that look good on you because of who you are and how you're built. There's a big difference in in that. And that's why we need people like you, because there is no material item in the world that will magically transform us into someone we want to be. Well, that, that is very true. That's very, very true. When do you know when enough is enough? Um, you can start with your finances. Yes. Yes. Right? Right? Yes. You know, something many compulsive shoppers share is what I refer to as a money vagueness. So they, they have not learned. It's not their fault. They have not learned to connect their behaviors with their wallet. So the first thing that's most important is to understand if you are buying and you are keeping a balance on your credit card every month and only paying the minimum payment, you are overbuying. You are overspending. If you do not pay your credit cards off every month, you're living beyond your means. So getting smart about, and this is something that you do, Jennifer, right? It's what pieces do you get? so that you can feel fabulous every day, but, but match them and use them in different ways and maybe buy a couple of things that upgrade 
to make you look better while staying within your means. And not only staying within your means so that you don't overspend, but also saving. Make sure you're saving and taking care of yourself. You know, whether it's paying down a house, sending your kids to college, retirement, which I know is so far away, but you blink and it isn't far away, right? But saving for yourself. I have to believe that financial security feels better than any sweater possibly could, possibly could. You know, as you were talking, I was just reminded of clients used to ask me when I was shopping one-on-one with them, how much money do I need to go shopping with you? What does my budget need to be? And I've always said, your budget determines your wardrobe. Your wardrobe doesn't determine your budget. It, you know, and I had clients who had like $400 to spend on an entire winter wardrobe. And I said, okay, well then we have $400 to spend on an entire winter wardrobe. Yep. And I have just been standing at cash registers with so many clients over the years and the the stores are pushing those credit cards so hard, so hard. And a lot of clients would say, do you think I should do it? And I was like, first of all, I'm not your money manager. I'm not going to tell you whether you should or you shouldn't, but saving 15% on a card that has an 18% interest rate doesn't actually make sense to me. I mean, it's not, and there were times where, you know, clients would choose to do it, but going into debt for clothing, I just, you just, you can't, especially with the way things are made now. Mm -mm. So many of these things you're not going to have by the time you you pay them off. Oh, my goodness. Yes. You know, it's, I don't know about you, but it's harder and harder to find some really great quality things. You're the expert on it, right? You could probably help me. I'm very picky because when I buy things, I buy classic things that will last a a few years. And then I'll just get a few things Mm -hmm. to sort of update the look, you know? But yeah, there there are, oh my goodness, there's there's so much clothing out there that, that it's basically thrown into garbage heaps a year later, which, you know, and this isn't everyone's, you know, b- belief, but it hurts the environment. Oh, All hugely, that garbage. Hugely. Right? I just read a statistic the other day that 84% of the clothes that you donate, whether uh, it was either 54 or 84, either way, it's a lot of the clothes you donate that you think are going to other people are just ending yes. up in a landfill. They're not being recycled. They're just ending up in a landfill because there are more unwanted clothes than there are people yes. who need clothes. And we're living in a time where clothes are actually cheaper than they've ever been, ever been. That Americans are spending less of their income on clothing, but they have so much more because, the, you know, as, as wages have ris- risen and costs have come down on clothes, it's just mm-hmm. incredible what you can get mm-hmm. for your money now. And, you know, you touch on quality. I always say there isn't quality anymore. The stores that you used to feel like, oh, I can go there and get a quality piece. They, they really aren't. It's, in, it's incredibly difficult to find clothing. And from my perspective, what happened when these stores started doing 30% off yes. all the time, they didn't take 30% of their profits away. They didn't, you know, they they raised the price a little bit and they slashed the quality and that's how they made up that difference. But clothes are not meant to last like they used to be. You know, I have a pair of old Navy pants that were from before I had my first daughter. She's 14. So these are old Navy pants and they're probably 15 years old. They are in impeccable condition. And then I have old Navy pants I bought last year. They look terrible. Mm. I mean, it's just the quality has gone downhill. And I think people who are trying to spend a little more to buy quality just don't. It's <laughs> You have to spend a lot, a lot to get quality. But that, again, another another topic for another time. So let's go back to our over shopping, compulsive shopping. What are some signs that maybe you have a little bit of that we need to examine this a little further. We talked about not paying off your credit cards. Yes. What are some other ones? And, you know, 50% of the population don't pay off their credit cards. So it's a, it's one indicator, but not necessarily a slam dunk, you know? Okay. Um, But hiding purchases. So hiding purchases from your parents, your partner, uh, because you're embarrassed. You get a rush of euphoria when you buy, but then when you bring it home or receive it at the door and open it up, then shortly after anxiety ensues. So it's a real cycle like this Mm -hmm. of, of emotion. 
not disclosing a high credit card balance to a partner, or if you're using someone else's, you know, credit card name, but you've got a credit card on your own, not showing them what the balance is, that's called uh, financial infidelity, Okay, which is a real term. Items in your closet that you either have not worn or still have the price tags on. Sometimes you may find yourself buying, and not just one item, but having this behavior occur over and over where you buy an item, but three colors because you need all three, right? (laughs) Carrie, everyone listening right now is like, oh my gosh, this is Jen's greatest hits because all of these things, stop buying clothes in every color, get rid of things. There you go. Yes. Okay. Continue on. Continue proving my point to everyone. Go ahead. (laughs) And and we, we didn't even talk about this guys. So you know, Jen and I are just just aligned here, right? Yes. You may also say to yourself, if I only had more money. Hmm. And this is like a constant theme. Even when you get raises, because you may end up spending more, it'll, you may say, if I only had more money. You may refer to yourself as a, a collector or say things like, and, and these are money stories we tell ourselves, right? I'm buying it as an investment. This is a reward for myself. I deserve a treat. And what you find is that you may be saying these things to yourself every day or every other day as opposed to on occasion. So that's a big deal. And when spending is creating emotional disturbance and chaos in your life, trying to pay off credit cards or find more money or whatever it is and and feeling stressed and anxious, you're probably definitely hitting the wall and it's time to really take a peek at this. Mm, So much good stuff there. Sneaking in bags is one of like my earliest memories because my mom, she was a shopper. She loved, my mom loved things. She loved, she loved things, loved them. And she found really interesting things, but she loved to collect things. And I remember smuggling in the bags Oh, don't tell that. Don't tell that. We'd put it in the closet, you know, and he'd say, oh, you know, where'd you get that? Oh, I've had this for years, you know, but it was pretty evident. No, she didn't have it for years. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a big one. That was a really, really big one in our house, but buying things and not wearing them. What do you think that's all about? Leaving the tags on? Is that just something that's an instant hit? You know, just a, a quick fix that you never intend to wear? Is it people that have good intentions? I have pulled out, oh gosh, in my career of working with women, I would say probably a million dollars worth of unworn clothes. Mm -hmm. Insane amounts of unworn clothes. As a matter of fact, I had a client and I went, we did her closet and she said, okay, I have a little bit more. And then she went to her daughter's closet and it was all of her stuff. And then she went to her other daughter's closet and it was all of her stuff. And I said, I, I have another client. I got to go. And she said, I just have one more closet. And wow. upstairs it was. And then she pulled out. She said, these are the shoes I almost got divorced over because I had to have them and my husband. And she'd never even worn yes. them. She'd never even worn them. And I thought, there aren't, there isn't a pair of shoes in the world to me that would be worth damaging my marriage mm-hmm. for. And you know, that's, that's when you know it's an addiction because you are willing to harm yourself and you cannot stop. Mm. So, you know, going back to the, what is this about unworn clothes? First of all, you know, it's the escape of, of buying something. Sometimes some clients have blackouts. They literally have packages arrive at the door that they don't even remember buying, you know, and it's, it's, it happens sometimes. So Some people buy with the intention of returning, but never get around to returning because A, it reminds them that they overspent. B, it's not a dopamine hit. So they push it to the side and go shopping more instead. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes they buy it with the greatest of intent, hoping that they will be magically transformed. Yes. That one, I think from what I've seen is, well, I bought it. It's a little small. I'm going to get into it. Well, Linda, you've been the same size for 15 years. So this $10 skirt probably isn't the motivation you need to, you know, change habits. I I always considered that aspirational shopping. It is so fascinating to me about the not returning things though, because that's not a dopamine hit. 
that that was really just a, a truth bomb right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like so, some of my compulsive shoppers, they refer to themselves as hoarders, but they're not really. They they simply acquire and then just don't get around to returning. Hoarding is is a little different. It's about really keeping mm-hmm. items because you cherish them and and they're your legacy. And they sometimes items are your friends, you know. As a hoarder, um, it's it's more about don't have the time. I don't want to be reminded that I made a mistake. And some of my shoppers have boxes and boxes piled up in a room, and um, you know, you're, you're the expert on this, but I do know that Nordstrom allows you to return in a year. And so with some of my over shoppers, I say, okay, do you have Nordstrom boxes? Pull those out first because guaranteed you're going to be able to return those and still get some money back. But getting them to return is a really big deal sometimes. That's interesting. I, at some point I need to dive into this lack of returns thing because it's something that I have heard from my clients over and over and over again throughout the years. And I guess mm-hmm. I'm now realizing that it's a bigger mm-hmm. thing than just I'm lazy and I, I, I don't enjoy going to the mall, that it's that there's yeah. more going on there. Ladies, I always yes. say, if you haven't worn it within two weeks, the likelihood you ever will is very, very small. And two weeks, every store now has a two-week period. So if it still has tags in two weeks, it's got to go. It's got to go. Don't let that, don't let that become a problem. So let's say you're listening to this and you go, oh my goodness, I do all these things. I smuggle the bags in. I don't pay down the credit cards. I don't return things. I think they're talking about me. Let's say you're that woman. What do you do? What do you do next? What are your first steps here? So you can try yourself a little bit to take things under control. And if you, if you think about it, what you want to do is reduce temptation, right? So delete all your emails, mm-hmm. like unsubscribe from all of them, all, all, all of them. And then there is software you can buy that actually goes on both your PC and your phone. You have two choices. One, one is called Freedom Software. One is called Liberty Software. And the idea behind these is that you put them on and you can specify the URLs that you're no longer allowed to go to. Now, it, Oh, wow. Yeah. It does expire over a period of time, right? But the idea is that you want to break the connection between your urge and, and your shopping behavior. You want to find something else to do. So start with those and know that every time you go to a site, those cookies are tracking you and you're going to get those ads just like that stalker. So yeah, the more you don't go, the fewer ads you're going to get following you. So that's a good place to start. We'll put those links in the show notes. So if you're, if you're driving and you go, oh, I need those, we'll have them in the show notes for this episode. So I also offer a do-it-yourself program. It's a beautiful book called To Buy or Not to Buy, Why We Overshop and How to Stop, and two companion journals. The journals have exercises. And you can read the book. Oh, the book is so compassionate. It so understands every compulsive shopper out there. It's beautifully written. And it'll give you ideas on how to try to break the flow yourself. And then you know, if you find you're not a really super disciplined person, then I also offer group coaching and individual coaching, depending on what you need. So I try to offer something for everyone because everybody's in different price brackets, right? And some people are shy and want to do it their own first. So, um, you know, Jen, we'll have a link to my website. So, yep. Yeah. We'll have all those. So I think a lot of addiction is about shame. Yes. While shopping is so accepted socially, when we get into that compulsive shopping and the overspending and all of those things, I think that shame really does kick in. What would you say to women who are just feeling so bad about themselves because what they've what they've bought, what they've spent, all of those things? This may sound like you. I I have a lot of uh, women reach out to me, and they'll reach out to me in emails bearing their soul. And it often sounds like this. I'm not a stupid woman, but I can't stop. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why I can't. It should not be this difficult. Please help me. 
And so here's what I want to say to you. It's something that sneaks up on you, right? Some time you were uncomfortable with emotions. And shopping may very well and often is something you learned. Jennifer, you talk about this, right? From your parents, a parent or a mentor or a favorite aunt or something as a way to cope, cope to get out of the house, cope to get away from a partner, independence, you know, fighting against control, you name it. And so you, you have learned this behavior and this behavior earlier in childhood has very likely made you feel good or graduating from college and finally having your very own first paycheck. So it starts with something like that, good memories. And then you've got emotions that you're, you're trying to cope with because, and Jennifer, you talked about this early, you have not filled your well. That could be need for love and affection, need for self-esteem, need to belong, mm-hmm. you know, in the group you want to belong in. And you're trying to do it from over shopping. So that's sort of how it goes. And it sneaks up on you. You do it once, you feel good. A couple of days later, you do it again. You, f- you feel good again. And so it goes and it becomes a coping behavior. So please don't beat yourselves up. You, you are smart. This is not logical. This is entirely emotional. And y- you need to figure out what, what's missing in your well? What, what in your core needs in life are you not getting? And then also learning how to separate, to put the pause between your urge and your action. And those are the two things you need to do. And sometimes you just need a little bit of help. That is, that is so good. And I love your approach. It's a compassionate approach of, you know, don't beat yourself up. This isn't, you know, this isn't logical. This is, this is all emotional. Can you talk a little bit more about the pause between the feeling and that action and how important that is when it comes to shopping? Yes. And it's, it's tricky too. Like, so don't beat yourself up if you, if you can't do it the first week. But the idea is that you probably find yourself on a shopping site before you even know it. So part of it is to understand you've been triggered. There is something going on and let's say your, your boss, you know, made you feel little in a meeting. And so you, you had low self-esteem that low self-esteem, you're triggered, you go find something to help make yourself feel better, like I deserve a reward or I need to self-soothe. So it's really trying to slow down. And the software that I mentioned is going to help you with this, right? Because you don't want to automatically go from, I've been triggered, I feel lousy to boom, oh, I'm already on a site. So you have to start building that self-awareness of what's going on in you, sometimes it helps to write it down. What am I feeling right now? And realize that when you're shopping, okay, what am I feeling? Where did this come from? You're going to start to see patterns. And those patterns are going to help you identify some of your core major triggers. And I can tell you, after working with so many compulsive shoppers, you easily have eight different triggers. Easily, easily. Hmm. And so that right now there's a, a deep connection between feeling a certain way and shopping. And you want to sever that. Right now it's a strong wire and you want to sever that so that when you're feeling that way, you go do something else instead. Because the more you do something else, the more you're going to break that connection and the more you can fight back. That is, that's fantastic advice. I want to talk about recovery from compulsive shopping or shopping addiction. I feel like socially acceptable vices, for lack of a better word, are really difficult to recover from because, you know, I'm not saying heroin's easy to recover from because clearly it's not, but there isn't a situation where you need heroin, right? Like you could go your whole life without heroin. You can't go to work naked you have, you know, or, you know, food addiction, Yes, you have to make peace with food. You have to make peace with it because you have to eat a few times a day and shopping. You do have to buy clothes every once in a while. You do, you know, whether your thing is home housewares house, you know, you, 
you have to buy things. You do. And you do. Can you talk a little bit about the the extra challenges that 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 adds to a recovery? Yes, yes, because you're absolutely right. You you cannot stop shopping, right? And it's interesting. I have learned to say to my clients before they start working with me, I'm not going to make you stop. I'm not going to make you stop today. You're going to make yourself slow down at your own speed. And the reason I learned to say that, Jennifer, is because people would binge before they started working with me as if it was, mm. they would never shop again. So first of all, what it is, is recovery in over shopping looks more like this. It looks like going from compulsive to controlled. Okay. Controlled shopping is what most people do. And for a compulsive shopper, it's a very uncomfortable place to be until they get used to it because it's, hmm, can I afford this? Will it really fit me? Do I have anything else in my closet? You know, all the things that you teach us about what, you know, when we shop, right? And what we should think about, like being discerning. So it's, that's what it is. It's being controlled. It's being discerning and knowing when is this item really just right Be, because I need it. It's going to go with like three or four other things in my closet. I can afford it, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what recovery really looks like. It looks like being able to perform in shopping, but knowing that it's not coming from an emotional place, that you're able to pause and think through, hmm, is this the right item for me to buy? I would also imagine that the thing becomes the thing, right? Like the sweater is just a sweater. The sweater is not a balm for my sadness. The sweater is not, you know, a Band-Aid for a broken relationship. It's literally just a sweater. I think an interesting thing, I obviously grew up in a house where we shopped a lot. I, you know, thank God we did because I wouldn't have the job I do now without it. But working in retail was such a, and working with so many clients and seeing the devaluation of clothes was such a good, a good education for me. You know, mm-hmm. You'd get something new in at the store and, you know, it's $100 and you go, oh my gosh, I have to have this thing. And in two weeks, it's $39 and it doesn't seem special anymore. And I started just to look at clothes. They're, they're just clothes. They have no inherent value. There will be more every single day. And I learned to not overconsume because of that, because I just saw this thing that everybody has to have today. Nobody wants in two weeks. Like what? What is the value of that? And working with women, pulling all these things, especially the unworn things out, you just see that a sweater isn't always a sweater, but when we can put that sweater in its proper place and it's, it's just a sweater, you know, if you choose to keep it, if you choose to let go of it, whatever, it's just a sweater. I've learned so much through other people's experiences that have helped to combat really the way that, the way that I grew up and, you know, my mom just loved to shop. She loved to shop. She loved it, loved it, loved it. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things I, I loved most about her, but it was not, it was not great financial Mm -hmm. lessons. I I will say that without, without sounding disloyal. I love the way you, you say that clothing is devalued. You've put it in its place. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way of, of saying it. And I, I think I may borrow that from you. I like that. You go right ahead. You go right ahead. So I know that sometimes I'm listening to things or I learn something and I apply it to everybody else in the whole wide world. And I think, oh, you know who really needs to hear this is my sister or my, you know, whoever. If we have listeners who are thinking of someone else, whether it's their mother, their sister, their husband, whomever, and they think somebody in my life is struggling with compulsive shopping, what would you recommend they do? First of all, do some research. You know, there, there are lots of free things on, on my site, videos, blogs, etc. Approach them gently. Even if they are still in denial, they are embarrassed, they are ashamed, and they really won't want to talk about it. So, you know, th- there's a formula for change, and it starts with sort of pre-contemplation, which is 
hmm, you want them to start thinking, am I one of these compulsive shoppers? So just giving them little bits of information, having them take a look at a video or an article or something like that so they can start relating. Little drips of information. The worst thing you can do is say, well, just stop shopping. I don't know why you have a problem. Just stop. And believe me, partners say this to clients all the time. Mm. Um, So you want to be incredibly, incredibly compassionate. It is an addiction. And the, the more you paint them into a corner where they feel more and more uncomfortable, the more likely to recoup from feeling uncomfortable, they're going to go out and shop some more. That makes sense. That makes sense. So don't go in there, double barrel, guns blazing, showing them the credit card statements. As a matter of fact, the, the podcast that I was listening of yours that I was, I was listening to, you were a guest, yeah. said don't yep. bring up money at first. It's more about caring about their life, right? Because so many other things are suffering. Um, when someone is a compulsive shopper, their life has become smaller. They, they literally sometimes forget to call their family as much or their friends as much because the shopping and the browsing may become an hour and a half, two hours at a time. They may be at their job and decide, oh my gosh, you know, I need to duck out. It's too stressful. I just need to go shopping for a little bit. And they go shopping for an hour and a half and disappear, right? So there are so many things going on in their lives and it's, it's harming them in several ways. And they're becoming more focused on wanting to be someone else other than who they are, which is when you think about it, pretty sad because when someone close to us is like that, we kind of love them the way they are. I mean, we're not perfect, but you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, yes, you know, the, the money is, is part of it and helping someone see how much they have spent and help them see how much they're spending a week without judgment. Here's the important part, right? I worked with a client and I had her list her expenses weekly and she was talking about, oh my gosh, you know, I really wanted a covered in deck so I could look at the mountains. And she was, she was so discouraged because the deck was going to be $40,000 and they couldn't afford it. Well, she started recording her expenses weekly and we multiplied it by 52 weeks. Guess what it equals? It was the, it was the deck. It was the deck. It was $40,000. And that's when, without judgment, like I didn't say a thing. She, she, she got it. She said, okay, I just spent away my deck. I get this now. I really, really, really wanted the deck. And I don't even remember what I bought. Little shifts like that without judgment will help them start to see how they are affecting their own world and potentially yours too. Mm, that is so, that is so powerful. So powerful just to start by loving them, being gentle, but then without judgment, I think that's the key part. You know, yes. facts, facts are important. Data is important and, and understanding where you at is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch gears to a completely different lighthearted topic because I found this on your website. And before we wrap up, um, I want you to talk about shopping buddies because if anyone has listened to my show for long for a, a, a while they know i hate shopping buddies and i hate <laughs> people I, I i would not allow people to bring friends to our sessions i would not allow it so i just need another jen is right cuz i really enjoy the jen is right moments but oh. talk about it from your perspective about Good shopping buddies and bad shopping buddies. Yeah. So you see, when you're taking a client out, you're Mm -hmm. the good shopping buddy. Oh, I'm not the buddy. I'm I'm the loving. I don't know what I am. I'm I'm the the loving taskmaster. I'm the loving enemy. I (laughs) I have a job to do. I'm not I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend when I would shop with people. I I was a problem solver. I was a paid problem solver, not your friend. Which means I didn't have to tell you things look good on you when they didn't. As a matter of fact, it would be it would be a disservice. Whereas your friends have to say, oh, yes, it would. but tell us what makes a good shopping buddy or, or what, who you should avoid. So a, 
a good shopping buddy is not necessarily your best friend, mm-hmm. as you say, Jennifer, yeah. right? A good shopping buddy is is someone who thinks about shopping differently than you do, thinks about money differently than you do. So if you're, you know, if you tend to spend a, a lot, then you want to take a more conservative friend who will say, well, you know, why, why do you want to buy that? I'm not sure I'd buy that. Can you afford that? Are you sure? You know, to, to, be, to be your balance, not to shore up and encourage you to spend more, but to say, well, but you know, I really like that other dress on you better. Like, I'm, I'm not sure mm-hmm. this is worth the money. Do you think so? And there's still a buddy, but the idea is that it, it's kind of like having a, a sponsor in AA almost, you know, it, okay. it's your shopping buddy is kind of like, well, let's think about this, you know, bef- before you, you actually buy that item. And sometimes you need your shopping buddy on the phone. Sometimes your shopping buddy can be uh, on text. You know, I've got women who have shopping buddies in different states because they, they just met during group coaching, right? But they know that they, they reach out to each other and their, their moral support and they'll ask, ask them the questions and say, are you sure? Have you, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? You know, so yeah, a shopping buddy is, is not someone who's, who's going to encourage you to keep spending what you want to spend. So it's really more of an accountability partner. It is. That is a great thing to have, everyone. That is a wonderful, especially if you struggle with with buying things you don't need or aren't going to return, all that good stuff. Get yourself a shopping accountability partner. Yep. My thing was always, when, like I said, when I was shopping with a client or working with a client, I had a certain amount of hours to solve all of their wardrobe needs. So I was on a mission. There And there is a process. I always solve pants first because all wardrobe problems are found in the pants. I, you know, we had a very specific way I set up fitting rooms and friends would come along and it would turn into, oh, try this. It's so cute. It's so cute. Oh, you should have that. And they would be bringing her things that she didn't need, that she didn't need. And I knew we had this amount of dollars. We have this amount of hours. We are on a mission. And it devolved into like some rom-com movie montage of just buying cute things (laughs) and cute things don't solve wardrobe problems. Now, if your wardrobe problem is you have no cute things, sure. But for the most part, cute things just add closet chaos and confusion. Whereas my job was to get rid of all of that closet confusion, but there's this synergy that happens and maybe it happens with men too. I have, I have no idea. I, I don't see many montages of them shopping together, but women, it becomes like this shark feeding frenzy of what can we buy, right? <laughs> and the energy changes and yes. it's just about collecting cute things. And I, it happened a couple of times and I, I, my client left and I thought, I didn't help her. I did a disservice mm-hmm. because she didn't get unstuck. She got, she got more buried in stuff. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that your wardrobe and your style journey is one that you should walk alone because also people are going to say, oh, that looks good on you. And what they really mean is, I personally like that color. They don't know if it's, yes. you know, they, they don't have yes. the knowledge to really be helpful. And they will talk people into things that they weren't sold on and they're never going to wear them. Or they'll talk people out of things that were really good for them. So get yourself an accountability partner if you need one, but walk your style journey alone. You don't, you don't need other voices in your ear unless it's a trained professional. Okay. Wisely Be- said. Yes. Thank you. So before we wrap up. Let us know if if people listening want to find you, follow you, work with you, where do they go? You can find me at behavioralsense.com, C-E-N-T-S. And my office line is 914-923-6081. You can also reach out to me by email on the website. And I would love to hear from you. And I will definitely leave a couple of things uh, at the end of this podcast down below for you guys, because uh, anything we can do to help everybody out there, I'm happy to do so. Awesome. Thank you so much. By the way, we will have all of Carrie's links on our website, so you don't have to remember anything. Uh, she has such great resources on on her website. You have a list, right, of 
of signs of compulsive shopping. Is that what I, yes. I do indeed. Yes. You're going to have access to that too, just to help you in case you have a friend who might be exhibiting a perfect. We'll have that link in the show notes. Before we go, what is the one thing you would like every woman to take away from our conversation today? We are told 24 hours a day, seven days a week that we are not good enough. It's usually masked within a message that says, oh, you could be better if you get this mascara or change your hair color or lose weight or wear this. Material items promise to change your life and they almost never do. So think of everything you've purchased, what you really use, and if it has truly changed your life. Probably not. Oh my goodness. Friends, that was the biggest, best truth bomb I have heard in a long, long time. I absolutely love it. We cannot end on a on a better note. So I'm just going to thank you, Carrie, again for being with us today, for sharing your knowledge so generously. I hope that everybody takes something really meaningful away today, even if you are not struggling with compulsive shopping, how to be a better steward of your money and uh, of, of your things. So Carrie, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to head over to the website for any links, downloads, or resources we talked about during the episode. Go to youreverydaystyle.com slash podcast and find the episode you're looking for. While you're there, make sure you sign up for our email list. You'll get a weekly style tip as well as links to my favorite product of the week to help make style even easier. It's an email you'll actually look forward to getting, so don't miss out. We'll see you next time. And until then, stay stylish.